Yo, 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 Nico here, and you're listening to Keeping the Towel with Ann Boogie. Peace world, easy world, it's your man Ann Boogie, don't worry about the name, get used to the voice, and it is another episode of Keeping the Towel, thank you so much for rocking with me, moving with me again, and I am grateful, I am blessed to have you in the mix, thank you for having me in your eardrums, thank you for having me on your tablet, thank you for having me in your phones, whichever way you're listening to this, thank you, thank you, thank you, and as I always tell you, the whole name of the game is... We are making sure that you do not give up in this fight called life Because if you do, there is going to be a big problem And we don't want that, alright So ladies and gentlemen, today, this evening, this afternoon Whatever time you're listening to this I got a sparring partner who's joined me in the gym And I want to make sure you get a chance to hear this brother Got a chance to link up with him in a cohort group And man, one thing I liked about this dude He didn't have to say anything but it was his energy that he had through the camera, and that's without sound. So that's kind of crazy when you think about that. But y'all gonna get a chance to hear him. I promise you're gonna enjoy his spirit. You're gonna enjoy his rawness. He's just, this brother's just gonna be real with it. So, ladies and gentlemen, at a good weight of none of your damn business and coming out of the dope state of New Mexico, my man, Mr. Nico Morales. Nico, you in the building, sir? Yes, sir. Let's get it rocking, man. Let's go. My man is here. My man is here. Yeah. So, Nico, this is what I need you to do. Get out your dressing room. Get your hands wrapped. Get your mouthpiece in your mouth. Make your way to the ring. And, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and grab a seat. Gather around the ring. It is Aunt Boogie and Nico. And the sparring session has officially started. Let's get it. All right. Nico, let's go ahead and bring this back to 19 Zigga Zigga and let us know the genesis of Mr. Nico. Man, Mr. Nico Morales came into the ring 1990, February 5th. And what I was told is I was born like a little alligator, dry as can be. That's what my dad tells me. He's like, you're ugly. So I'm pretty now. Um, but yeah, born and raised Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm a 90s baby, I guess is what they could call it. Yep. And uh, I know what it's like to live without internet. Let me, <laughs> let me put that out there for some of our guests. I know what a landline is. I know what a rotary phone is. I know what a VCR is. I know how to work a DVD. So I was blessed to come up in this technology age. I was blessed to have two beautiful parents that did their absolute best. I was blessed to have a supportive family extended to, like cousins, aunts, grandparents, and things like that. So I think my first round of life, or round with life, I should say that, started when I was two years old. And at two, my sister was born. She's a beautiful lady, but when she was born, she had some complications. And those complications had my parents at the hospital a lot. And so I got to spend a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandma picked me up and she uh, took me everywhere that she went. Now my grandmother was from Arizona. So we'd drive back and forth from Albuquerque to Flagstaff. Spent a lot of time in the car. And my grandfather, he was a lumber mill foreman. So if I wasn't with my grandma, I was with my grandpa. I, I think that that is a huge benefit like if we're talking sparring, like I had some good trainers mm. because they were already in their 60s, 
their 50s, 60s. So I got that mature knowledge, that grown adult knowledge. And as a wee young chavalito, uh, getting that type of information really helped me out. But it also created a little bit of a uh, issue inside of me, and that issue was rejection. Why so? Oh, why so? Man, Boogie, let's dig into that because in my head, as a child, I saw my sister with my parents and I didn't see me with my parents. Mm. So I was wondering what the heck is wrong with me that they don't want me around, but she gets to stay around. So that's why I thought I was being rejected. I didn't know that, hey, they needed her around because they were always taking her to the doctor. They had to stay up all night with her. They had to take care of her in ways that would not allow them to take care of me. Mm. So that's how the idea of I'm being rejected started to formulate in my head. And did you know this back then or was it or it was revealed to you when you were older? This is why they had to give your sister a little more attention. It was revealed to me when I was older. Mm. So, Nico, yeah. you, you had something that particularly in the Latino community very, very strong. Willis, you spoke about immediately that you went to stay with your grandparents for a moment. Give a briefing on who were they that you admired them so much? They were hard workers and hustlers. My grandmother never worked a day in her life. Never saw her go to work mm. at all. She never punched a clock for nobody except for herself. So that was one thing that I really noticed growing up. Is that grandma never had to go to work. She always had money coming into the mailbox. And my grandfather, we call him Papa, he was always out of the house. He was always traveling, going to different work sites in different states because in the Southwest, he was the foreman of the quality control for all the lumber mills. So that is a brief background of them. My grandmother said that she was the only child that's just because she didn't like her brothers and sisters. <laughs> My yeah. papa was the third oldest of about six or seven wow. hard workers. Yeah. We gathered through that time of this little tyke Nico. And now Nico starts to matriculate into his teenage years. Who is this Nico now coming into this adolescent years? What's he like? Man, that Nico is a ambitious young man. He wants to take on the world and he thinks he can take on the world. By 14, I was ready to drop out of school. Like I finished eighth grade and I was like, I'm done with this stuff. Let me go to work. Cause that's what everybody around me does. So I want to be like them. They used to have a nickname for me that my mom gave me and it was called Little Man. She said, you walked around just like a grown man when you're little. So I called you Little Man. And so I figured, well, shoot. I'm a grown little man, then might as well be a grown man. Let's get to work. And uh, yeah, I told my parents, I'm not going to high school. I'm mm. done with that stuff. Whoa. Yeah. And that wasn't flying. Nah. Nah. <laughs> I wasn't flying. So my mom was like, all right, since you like to learn kinesthetically, you like to learn with your hands. She had already picked up on that. I didn't like to learn by listening. I'd watch a little bit, but if I could do it, that's how I learned the best. She went and she got me a job as a laborer, thinking that it would deter me from going to work. Nah, I loved it. <laughs> Little man turned into a young man. I was hanging out with all the workers. 
the gopher is what I was on this construction site. So I got to work with the different contractors, electricians, plumbers, the framers, the roofers, the stuckers, tile guys. Yo, And what? everybody would, yeah, they just tell me, go, go for this, <laughs> go for that, go for this. Go for some coffee. Go for that. <laughs> That's it, man. That's it. So you basically was introduced to trade school and didn't even know it at the time. Yeah. Full-blown certificate. Right. Unofficial. <laughs> Nico now goes out into the real world at a young, young age, and he tries his hands at work. He likes it. But, Nico, so did you decide to officially stay out of school, high school, or did you eventually just go? How did that even happen? Shoot, my decision was to stay out of school. And the foreman liked the way that I worked, so he was cool with it. My mom was not cool with it. So she went to that foreman and she told him, look, my son is going to graduate school, so you need to fire him. What? Yeah, she told the foreman straight up, fire him. He's like, nah, he's a good worker. I could use him. So these two adults, they came to a decision. They said, you know what? If you go back to school, then you could have a job with me every summer. That's what the foreman told him. Told me. My mom was okay with that. She's like, as long as it gets him back in school. I start back in school reluctantly. The other reason why I started back in school was because I grew up wrestling. From age seven to 17, I wrestled. That was my way out. That was my escape. That was the place where I felt at home. That wrestling ring, man, king of the ring. I yeah. was the king. So you put your toe on that line, I felt it dis disrespectful. You think you could beat me? Oh, no. I'm going to put a beating to you. And I'm not going to get in trouble either. Right. That was the best part. Right. Legal. Yeah. And good at it, too. I remember being carried off of matches because I just wouldn't stop. My body would give out. I remember being knocked out a couple different times. And I know I just said I'm good at it, but one of the things that I truly believe is that if you are a strong combatter, whatever sport it is, you've more than likely lost a lot more than you won before you figured out what winning was like. Absolutely. So I got my butt handed to me. I'd wrestle two years up, two weight classes up, one weight class up, one year up, match after match after match, and just go at it. Loved it. I love the feeling of pushing my body into different positions, into different ways, learning different moves, learning different skills, and achieving those. So I said, well, let's go to school. At least I could wrestle. It's only four years. Because I was just going to do high school. Like I said earlier, I was ambitious and I needed to make money. So I take some of the money that I earned from the summer and I sell Lucy's, Loose Prime Times. That escalated into swag. Get quarter pounds of swag and I just roll blunts and I'd sell those. I started smoking them myself. I'm like, man, weed helps out. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people figure that out later. <laughs> <laughs> I like this stuff. No wonder people want it from me. It helps out. So as a young man, I would just smoke weed and sell weed. At school, I'd go to wrestling practice. And I was just one wrestling coach. And he's like, man, Nico, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Because it wasn't your average Joe that uh, get the weed from. Right. At that time of day, it was... You had to hit up the big homie. And one of my homies, older brothers, was the big homie. So he put me on. Trash bags. He'd be like, here, how much you want? 
Mm. Take some, go do my thing, break it down, sell it, make some more cash, turn $1 into two. Wait, 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 wait. Pause. Pause. Homeboy opened the trash bag and said, take as much as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you was definitely raising a different time. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. We already know. The game don't work like that now. They give you they give you certain keys and you got it. That's on you. But you actually picked your keys that you needed and you moved it. Yo, you all right with me, my man. Yep. This is definitely early 90s, y'all. Definitely early 90s, y'all. So here it is. You're in school, wrestling squad. But at the same time, you're moving your own weight, moving your own stuff. Did the street business clash with school business? I made them overlap. How so? You made So... I learned that if you're good at sports and you had decent grades, people would leave you alone. And if I was left alone, nobody was really wondering how I was making money, how I was doing my thing, just kind of keeping a low profile. Security guards didn't bother me because they already knew what was up, but I was such a good wrestler that they didn't want to jeopardize that. That was one of the ways that I kind of made it overlap. Nobody got a taste, but I just made sure that when I got on the mat, I did what I was supposed to do. You said that you were able to make them overlap. And as time goes by, where's Nico now as he's rolling into his junior, senior year? Where's Nico now at this space? Because I'm sure the money was looking even way better than you pinning somebody to the mat. Yeah, it was. But the feeling wasn't as good. So there was something about beating someone. Like and watching their eyes dilate, smiling at their girlfriend because they're looking over at them. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's there's a feeling <laughs> that just came with like, oh, all right, we blow her a kiss while I pin you real fast. Oh. That was a feeling I can't really get from doing an exchange, doing a transaction. Side question: you Said that you was blowing kisses to your opponent's girl and everything. Nico, did you take any of your opponent's girls from them? <laughs> Uh, you can't take something that isn't yours, right? So, so maybe I hang out with them for a little bit. Hey, Tom, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So you had your own personal cheerleader for the weekend. I'm with you. <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, picked up a new one. Sunday, Monday, kick it. Tuesday, get everything prepped. Do it again. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Do it again. But about junior senior year. I had already been asked to move one school to another. Let's put it that way. They said Nico's uh, not hanging out with the right people when he's not at wrestling practice. So they told my parents, why don't you just move him to a different school? It was the best idea because you could take a man out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of a man. That's right. And so I just did the same thing. And at the school that they moved me to, I knew more people, so I was able to cover up my stuff a lot better. But at the same time, I'm starting to remember some of the childhood stuff. Rejection was one of them, um, and something else that was repressed was some sexual abuse that I had to deal with. At 16, 17, I'm starting to remember these things and having nightmares, smoking more weed, but weed isn't doing it, so I'm looking for another solution. I could only beat so many people on the mat and get away from life on the weekends during the wrestling tournament I needed another place to escape and so we put a uh, DVD together with all my wrestling matches me and my old man started sending them to schools Nico gets a offer to go to a couple different schools 
and I picked Northern Colorado University. And when I picked Northern Colorado University, we get it squared away, so I got a full ride wrestling scholarship as a junior. Wow. My only requirement is to wrestle in one tournament my senior year so that they could come watch me, but everything else is paid. That's it? So that's it. I said do one tournament. You're out of school now, and Northern Colorado calls your name. You get into the school, or this is a different move that you look at now? It's a different move that I look at. There was a dynamic shift at the high school that I was wrestling with, and me and that head coach, we didn't get along. I was like, bro, I don't know who the heck you're talking to. Mm. I'm the captain of this team. You you don't tell me what to do. You go talk to the freshman. I'll just finish my senior year. I already got a scholarship. You didn't help me with nothing. Just leave me alone. He didn't like that. So he said, unless you're going to listen to me, then you can't be here. I said, fine, then I won't be here. I just need one tournament. And I can enter as tournament as an open wrestler. No school affiliation, no nothing like that. So I'll be good. Well, that didn't work out too too well. That that little plan that I thought I had, mm-hmm. it didn't pan out. So I found myself losing the scholarship. So you didn't get well, in the tournament. I didn't get in the tournament. Check this out. I never missed making weight my whole life. For this tournament, did the exact same things that I knew how to do, cut. I was practicing at various schools, and I was off by 0.1. Your weight was off by 0.1? My weight was off by 0.1. Yo. Yeah. Mm. Stripped down all the way, too. Like, the only other thing I could have done was shave my head. Right. So, Nico, you lose out on the scholarship. What is going through Nico's head at this point? At this point, I'm like, well, screw it. I didn't even want school anyways. You know that, that cocky ego, that pride that steps in? It's like, oh, I didn't even care about it. Um, that started to factor in. And I decided, well, let's keep on doing what you're doing. Now you don't have to live that second life. You could just move your things. So I had escalated from cannabis to cocaine. And by my senior year, I was moving Oxycontin, Xanax pills, all of them. So you were that I could get my hands on. So basically, you was way ahead of a lot of your peers, even if they was in the game. Yeah. Most guys were thinking about just starting that game. And I was like, cool, I'll put you on. Wow. And you was recruiting. Come work for me. Come on. Got the best product at the lowest price. Right, right. Call me Walmart. (laughs) You now decide to go full-time into the game. And as you're moving that, I'm sure the game, as as we all know, the game does change you at at times. Nico, who did you start seeing that you were becoming when you now became fully enveloped in the game? So in my head, I'm the Latino version of Jeezy or Meech. That's in my head. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. In all reality, man, I was just a small fish in a big game. The actual person that I was, yeah, I could move a couple ounces of cocaine. I could move some pounds of cannabis. I could sell hundreds of pills. All in a week, Sunday, go re-up, do it all again. But I just didn't feel whole. I felt like I was trying to fill a void, trying to fill this ego, and I was trying to do it by myself. And remember how I told you that smoking weed was helping me out? Well, it stopped helping me out as much. And there was rules that I was taught, so I didn't touch cocaine. I smoked some weed every once in a while, pills, they were more for the partiers. But when Oxy hit the market, 
that one to me was just uphill. So I snorted it and then I'd start taking it and I started freebasing it. Mm. And one of the big homies tells me, yo, you know that's heroin, right? I'm like, this isn't heroin. It's not black tar. That's not what this looks like. He's like, yeah, it's synthetic. You shouldn't be doing that, Nico. Rule number one, never get high on your own supply. That's right, man. And the dealers had changed. So you had to go see the big homie for the cannabis and the cocaine. But to get the oxys, I didn't have to go see the big homie. I just had to find one of my friend's moms, one of my friend's aunts. I had to go find one of my friend's family members who were being prescribed it. And then just offer either to buy it or trade them. Because some of them like cocaine, some of them like cannabis. So the dealer changed. And I remember this one day, bro, found this lady and uh, she likes smoking rock. And so I come up with a deal with her. She gets 120 Oxy 80s every month prescribed to her. I'm like, cool. Oxy 80s go for 60 to $80, depending on who I was selling it to. I did the math and I was like, man, I can get them for like 20 bucks a pop from her. If I trade her some of my cocaine for her oxys, I present the deal to her. She's like, you know what? If you can come up with the cash, I'll sell them to you. No problem. I'm already moving cocaine. So let me just flip that. Instead of going and paying the dealer first, I'll just bring it to you. Get these oxys, flip that, and then I'll go pay the dealer and take the profit off the top. I worked out for a couple months. But I found out that she also was uh, selling it to another group and they got upset because I was able to bring cash. They were getting fronted. I was paying cash up front. So they start threatening her, start pulling up in front of her house. This is an older lady. Damn, they messing with the plug. Messing with the plug, bro. And so she'd call me, Nico, Nico, they're here. Come help me. All right, cool. Pull up with my boys. What's up? You guys got problems? Let's handle this. Because of the background that I had in wrestling, I knew how to not only just physically beat somebody, but mentally beat someone. So I started blowing kisses at their girls too. Started pulling up to places that their girls would hang out at. I started pulling up to places that their sisters were hanging out at. Yo. You guys want to play? Let's play. You guys can go mess with the old lady. I'll just come mess with your ladies. <laughs> Got myself in some more trouble and more problems to handle. All of a sudden, the money wasn't matching up. It wasn't flowing as quickly because Nico had to use his 20 out of the 120. And then he'd sell the 100. But I was using my 20 before I'd go sell my 100. So... The cocaina dealer would tell me, yo, Nico, where's my money? I'll be there in a week. You know, I started acting like a dope fiend. I became a dope fiend. Eventually, they changed the way that the pills are pressed and the pills are made. So we can't get high off of them the same way that we used to get off. The market started to change. One of my people tell me, Nico, you're hurting. I could tell that you're going through a withdrawal. I'm like, yeah, but there's no oxys. He's like, well, smoke some of this. Throw some tar on the table for me. He's like, just take a hit. It'll make you feel better. 
So mm. freebase that black tar mm. and the game was over. I was like, yeah, this is the stuff that can solve my problem. Let's keep on using it. No longer was I trying to just make money, earn money, be the Jeezy of Albuquerque. I was trying to be uh, the guy who got by off easy things. I wasn't trying to do any of the hard work anymore. So early 20s, this badass wrestler that used to blow kisses is now a dope fiend injecting out of a 33 gauge needle, 60 cc's just to stay well. Woo, 60. Yeah. Jesus. So Nico, you you now see that you're in, in a problem now. Your plug is getting messed with. Even your suppliers see something's wrong with you. And they put you onto this. Where does this new thing that you're doing now that you're using, where does it start to drift you in life now? Um, it puts me in a place where I'm just seeking to escape life. Not even drifting. I'm trying to hide from it. Like, as long as I could get high, I would do whatever I needed to to get high. How's your family? Are they picking up on... on Changes in your behavior Changes in you period Yeah They've been picking up on it But they Came to the realization That I was doing something That I really shouldn't have been doing How did they Respond to you In that point They tried to show love They tried to Get me some help But I'm 18 Over the age of 18 I should say So they can't legally do anything When they see that I refuse help refuse to change they tell me hasta luego get up out of here if you want to live in the streets go live in the streets yeah. and your grandparents so I find at myself, this point, are they still there my grandfather wasn't but my grandma was and even her she she knew something was up but she wouldn't really say anything about it and I was in uh, shame so I would do my best to stay away from her so the family tries to get you help shame Stay away from your grandmother. So now Nico, the family tries to get you help. You decide, now nah, I'm good. And they vomitos from you. So at this point, Nico's basically alone. And as you mentioned earlier, abandonment issues and feeling lonely when you were small. So Nico, what does this do to you now that this brings back the... Uh, the 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 loneliness. What does that do to you now? Uh, it makes me very angry. Makes me very hardened. Makes me very anti-family. Makes me very anti-the public. Anti-social. Makes me very recluse and isolated. So, Nico, you still keep turning to your own supplies. Substances. Yeah. Turning to your own supplies. So this now pushes you further and further deeper into this black hole. What's it like for you at this point? It's very painful. This black hole is just very dark. It's very painful. Never seems like it's going to end. And there's more work to stay in the black hole. Mm. Um, Explain that part. Explain that. Because you don't really hear that. The work to stay in the black hole to get out. Normally you hear the other way around. Explain that. Yeah, so there's a couple different ways to explain it. The 
community of Albuquerque isn't that big. So when one of the suppliers started telling the other suppliers that Nico's messing up, it reduced the amount of opportunities that I had to get supply. So the suppliers didn't so, trust you then? Exactly. So now I have to have people go get stuff for me. I got to pay them something just to get what I need, quote unquote. That's the first part of it, right? Like logistically, it was harder to get it. It was more work to get the stuff. Then because of the amount that I was using, I needed more of it to fill that hot. So let's say I'd get a ball of Shiva, a ball of tar. I'd have to use maybe like a gram and a half, slam that into my body in order to get an hour worth of hot. So if we're putting time on it, six hours, four hours to get the product, get to a place where I can use just to get an hour worth of high. And on and then top of that, re- you're paying people to get it from you. So more than likely it's either a transaction with cash or with your own supply, your own product. So you got it. Losing, you're like a basket with a hole, product just leaving you, money leaving you basically. Everything's leaving me. Yeah. So it became more work to get high than it was to not get high. Are you realizing the frustration in it or it doesn't even hit you yet? Now nah, I'm realizing the frustration in it. I'm watching people take their cut off of my stuff and I'm just like, what the heck are you doing, bro? Mm. Is this high even worth it anymore? Is being by yourself worth it? Is sleeping in your truck, nodding off behind the trash can, is all of this worth it? So hit me on that, bro. You say you were sleeping in your truck. When was the lowest point that hit Nico? When did Nico hit rock bottom? Because there's not one. There's several rock bottoms we hit. So when was yeah. your first rock bottom that you hit at that point? First rock bottom would be this dude that I grew up with. He told me, don't come by my house anymore. He's like, Nico, you're too messed up, bro. Like, I've given you enough chances. People are telling me what you're doing out there. Don't come over to my house. So that was the first rock bottom. My parents, yeah, I already had the issues with them. But when my little sister stopped really wanting to hang out with me, that was number two. Mm. Like when she stopped saying yes to go to lunch, when she stopped wanting to hang out because I was always messed up, that was number two. Number three, I used to get these cysts because of the needles that I was using or the foil that I was smoking. They used to get huge on my knees, on my elbows, and they would pop. And it hurt. And so three, I was just like, man, your body's messed up. And then four, I find myself sleeping in a Walmart parking lot one night. I got some protection on me. I'm just thinking, the only reason why you're sleeping here is because you don't want to stop using this drug. And right now you're hurting because you don't have that drug. So why the heck are you trying to get high just to feel that little bit of pleasure? And uh, Walmart's are 24 seven. Yeah, here in New Mexico, they're not. They shut down at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock? Walmart? Walmart. Whew. The earliest I've ever heard of Walmart closing was like 10. Wow. Nah, here they shut down at 9. And that's because we used to stay in the Walmart parking lots. So if you were using and you needed a place to just chill at or if you needed to get some money, Walmart was the spot. And it became violent. People were dying in Walmart parking lots. People were overdosing. So basically, every day, whenever they opened a Walmart, as a as a guarantee, they would have saw a body slumped over dead or a body slumped over from ODing. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So to this day, that's it was 2012. To to this day, they still don't still like stay that. open past nine, and they still find the same things. Yeah. You had the cysts on your knees, and this was due to the blood clotting in your knees, or this was due to whatever. I got no idea. I know that it was because of the drugs. That's what I know. It's because of the drugs. And I'm sure your body, that was part of, part of your body breaking down on you. There was other parts of your body that was breaking down on you, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of my body started breaking down. The doctors say that about that time, my hips started to collapse. Eventually, Aunt Boogie, we fast forward a little bit. I quit using heroin because of all that work. I stopped using it because I'm not getting in the high. I'm not seeing the benefit. I'm seeing way more risk than I am seeing reward. I'm not being around people. I don't have support. I can't solve problems. So I'm like, man, this is just, this ain't worth it. Let me at least try this other path of not using. So I stopped using drugs, cold turkey. Mm. Stop shooting heroin, cold turkey. Yeah. Those withdrawals sucked. <laughs> Those withdrawals sucked. Were they violent? Cold sweats. They were bad. Mm. They were bad. Just curled up in a ball, sweating but freezing, unable to defecate just because my body didn't know what to do. A lot of my body was just tightened up. I was 120 pounds. Normally, I weighed about 180, so I was just sucked up. It stunk. You had mentioned about your hips, the degenerative hips that was happening to you. Explain to me, bro, how did that even come to be? And how do you recognize it? So I start to recognize it just because I have hip pain. I start to hear it like bones rubbing against each other. And whenever I get the chance to, I'd lay on my back and I'd have my knees like above my hip bones. Cause for whatever reason that felt good. So that's how I start to notice that there's something wrong. But since I stopped using heroin, I started drinking. And that was a way to take away the pain. So 22, I stopped using. I was June 13th, 2022. It's the last day that I shot him. And I started to, here was my thought process. Let me wean myself off. So I stopped using, but I kept on smoking cannabis. I didn't like alcohol growing up, but I figured it'll relieve some of the pain. So I'll drink just a little bit. And so I weaned myself off of uh, heroin with other substances. The doctors, they call it replacement therapy. Usually they do it with something else. I just wasn't going to doctors, so I did it on my own. Without dealing with my underlying issues, I started to depend on those way more than I should have. About as much as I used to depend on heroin. That's what I started to depend on. So for the next few years, I'm quote unquote doing good because I'm not using heroin, but every night I'm smoking a blunt and having a beer. The beer stops taking away the pain and stuff, so have a couple beers. Then I find liquor because it's easier to ingest and it takes away the pain. So I stopped smoking cannabis and I just drink liquor. Nobody has a problem with that. My family starts to come back around. The homie that told me that I couldn't go by his house, he hears that I'm doing well, he checks in on me. And so for a couple of years, say 24 to 27, I'm all right. I'm in a decent place, but I'm still like white knuckling through life. 
because I hadn't dealt with my issues. So I'm going to work. I'm going around the homies, but I'm always making sure that I have some liquor at home. So when I get home, I can drink it to go to sleep. Closet alcoholic is another way that they'd call it. I'm seeing a girl who I'd make sure I had enough to drink before I went out. And there was something when I got home so that I could go to sleep. Like my life became completely revolving around alcohol. It eventually gets to the point where I think I'm hiding it, but I'm not. And uh, my family again is like, Nico, you're drunk. You show up drunk everywhere. You drink all the time. We can smell it on you. Instead of weighing 120 pounds, you weigh 260 pounds. You're bloated. Whoa. Yeah. So you fluctuate hard in weight from 180 to 120, then up to 260? Yeah. Yeah. And again, they're like, you're grown. If you want to do that, you can do it, just not here. So I find myself again being rejected, being abandoned because of my own choices. So we're about 27 years old. At this time, my grandmother has already passed. Some other significant life events have happened. And I'm just like, well, shoot, if this is life, I'm for sure just gonna drink my way through it. And most of the people around me were like, well, you don't got much life left if you keep on doing that. It's like, screw it. I made it past 25, which is something I didn't think I was gonna do. So this is all bonuses now. And at uh, 27, I found myself being told I can't stay with my parents anymore. My sister doesn't want anything to do with me again. And the homies no longer wanna be around me. Same situation just a different substance. My mom, she cares for me. And she tells me, you know what, your grandma, she uh, she has a house, no one lives in it, it's abandoned, but you can go stay there as long as it doesn't turn into your coffin. Mm. This is what your mom tells you. That's what my mom tells me. So I'm like, yeah, let's give it a shot. I'm moving to this house, put my mattress in the living room. It's full of newspapers. It's full of a bunch of other stuff too. Got a TV and a hot plate. I'm stashing food above the ground just so that nothing gets into it. I'm working at this time because that's what I was told to do. So I'm going to gym, work out, shower there, go to work, and then drink after work. Mm. That's all I'm doing. Drink, work, repeat. Drink, work, repeat. Get frustrated because I'm like, what the heck am I here for? I think everybody wants to have a purpose for their life. Me, I couldn't figure out what mine was. I talked to this God that everybody says that I should be talking to. I'm like, let's see if you're real. Oh, and he's real. <laughs> he's very real. He says, you're finally figuring it out. You need me the whole time. And you can't do what you need to do in your brain. Only I can do it. Because I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who kept you safe when you were out there running the streets. I'm the only one that kept you safe when you were drinking and driving. I'm the only one that kept you safe when these dudes wanted to come rob you. I'm the only one that protected you. Will you at least listen to me now? If you're real, and it seems like you are, let's do it. And so, you know, a lot of people say they gave their life to God. I don't believe that I gave my life to God. I believe that God gave me life. Because when I met him, that's when I was filled with this peace, with this joy. I didn't have that mental hurt anymore. The hole in my chest that I tried to drink away, that I tried to smoke away, that I tried to use away. The hole in my chest that I tried to fill with friendships, relationships, family, it was finally filled. I had life. So I didn't give my life to God. God gave me life. And since he gave me life, I live it for him. So at 27 years old, 
I go and get baptized. I start reading the word every day. I start praying, start fasting, start being in community. And I start these things called kingdom rules. I'm like, well, if you're real and you're the ruler of all, all the rules that I followed, they didn't work out. Show me what your rules are. So he began to show me. You act justly. You live quietly. You mind your business. You work hard with your hands. So that when people see your transformation, you don't take credit for it. I get credit for it. Tell you, teach me how to love mercy. Because there's some dudes that still owed me money and I didn't go collect it. <laughs> Teaches me to walk humbly. Because, yeah, even though I can't handle my business, I'm a damn good wrestler. I knew how to fight. Didn't mean that I needed to do it. Taught me that when people disrespect me, I should smile, give them a hug if I can, not combat conflict with another conflict. He taught me how to retrain my mind, transform it, and live in a way that honors him. He taught me that he sent his son Jesus to die for all my sins. And if Jesus could take a beating, because I read some of the beatings that he took, then I should be able to take whatever licking I have on this planet. And I read about Paul. I read about some of the other apostles. Like these men, they're serving others. So that's what the kingdom rules are. You serve others. You act justly. You live quietly. You don't get up in people's business. And anytime you feel like you're wronged, you remember that I was wronged first by you. <laughs> I was like, shoot. Mm. <laughs> these are some deep rules. It's like, well, follow them. You want to follow me, follow those rules. And as I began to follow those rules, my life opened up. Opportunities opened up to go back to school for free. So I got a bachelor's degree for free. Opportunities to see men who actually live like godly lives. These are men now that I've been exposed to who have a relationship with him, who are balling. They make these drug dealers that I used to look like poor. These are men that have one woman. They honor her. He's like, see, it can be done. So will you go after that with the same type of zeal that you were going after, trying to be like Meech? Like, yeah, I can do that. And each day when I get up and I pursue that, my life is turned around. I've got a best-selling book now, teaching people how to get clean. I get to go and speak in front of schools, get to speak in front of... Check this out, I'm Boogie, uh, one of the commissioners from the city that I live in. She called me. She said, I want you to come and speak to the other commissioners. I hate to speak in front of high-level individuals. I run a training program now where I teach other individuals who are coming out of difficult situations how to communicate with themselves and with others. I teach leadership skills. I teach decision-making. I teach people how to change. And it's not because I gave my life to God. It's because he gave me life. And I want to honor what he gave me. I think about it like this. If you get a present, you do a couple of things with it, right? You could re-gift it. You could just stash it in the closet. Or you could actually use it. And all of that is determined by what you think of the person who gave it to you. Mm, good one. So each and every day, I get up and I think about life as a wrestling match now. And it's the old me that puts his foot on the line. I'm like, bro, you being disrespectful. <laughs> you think you could beat me? Nah. Let me show you how we win these matches now. I get on my knees and I pray. Nico Morales, why do you keep your towel? Man, the towel's not in my hand. We're looking at a boxing match. Who holds the towel? The manager. Exactly. 
and I'm not the manager of my life. So if I get up every day and I got breath in my lungs, that means my manager knows I have enough fight in me to get through that day. So the reason why I keep the towel is because I don't hold the towel. The one who does determines whether or not I get to fight today. And the day that I wake up and I'm not in this realm is the day that I know he decided to throw in the towel for me. I like that one right there. Well, folks, there you have it. My man just dropped some good gems on you right there. And why is it that his trainer, his manager, the trainer, the manager holds his towel? So before we hop out of here, Nico, is there any information if or there is any last words? My guy, the floor is yours. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Hey, if there's anybody out there just wanting to do better, my goal is to help people do better today than they did yesterday. If you need help with that, hit me up. Go to my website, nohalonm.com. Go to my social medias, nohalonm. That's on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm open to chat if you want to. Yeah, yeah. So, folks, I'm going to get all of that information in the description box, and I'm going to need you to go and check him out all of his his books his websites and social media information so you'll be able to check my man out and as i said it was something that drew me to this guy as when we was in our in our cohort group this dude was just cheering people on and without even saying words his smile his fist pumping and everything i was like who is this guy like Everybody everybody just sitting there blank face. He's the only one who's not doing it. And I'm like, who is this guy? So there it is. Got a chance to rock with him. So you heard his story. And y'all, as he said, that in Walmart almost every single day that a new body was in that parking lot. And he could have been one. But God had a bigger, bigger purpose and plan for him that uh-uh, instead of you dying on the parking lot of a Walmart, just die to self first. And watch him get resurrected. And here he is at this time. So, Nico, my good man, congratulations. You have survived Boogie's Gym. And this sparring session is officially over. So, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, like I always tell you, wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears. But whatever you do, don't throw in your towel. This is your man, Aunt Boogie. We will check you when we check you. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.